1: This
2: is the Puck Pooleys Podcast with Matt Larkin and Stephen Ellis.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to a very special edition of Puck Poolies. It's Matt Larkin here, but where's Stephen Ellis? He's here, everybody. He is hiding in the shadows because we're doing something special to start the show this week. I have my two fantasy buddies, Daily Face-Off fantasy buddies here. We have, of course, Brock Sagan, managing fantasy editor of Daily Face-Off fantasy. Brock, how are you doing, my friend?
1: Great. This is the uh, most exciting time of the year for us. Daily Face-Off absolutely booming. Uh, draft week is upon us. Some drafts have already happened, but this is really the big week for everything, and it's, uh, it's an exciting time of the year.
0: Excellent. And of course, we also have our buddy, Nick Alberga, daily face-off fantasy writer, NHL.com fantasy writer, and of course, host of the great show, Leafs Morning Take. How are you doing, Nick?
3: Fantastic. Great to be with you, boys. And I can't believe we're just a couple days away from puck drop because I don't know how much more preseason I can handle right now, quite frankly.
0: Oh, preach, baby. (laughs) I hate the damn preseason. So the reason why, if you're listening or watching, the reason why I have Brock and Nick here today, as we're doing a special game to start this episode. we're getting so close to the start of the NHL season. I know it's peak fantasy draft season right now. And if you follow us, you know that all three of us do rankings on a regular basis leading up to the season. So what we're gonna do today is called rankings wars. And that's wars with a Z on the end of it, by the way. We're gonna go through a few discrepancies that I identified in our rankings, and we're gonna see who has the right opinion. Maybe we're gonna fight it out. and. Anyone listening and watching, you can decide who wins these battles. So if you guys are ready, we're going to launch into it right now. So let's start high in the rankings, guys. Okay, we're going to start with the first round. Nikita Kucherov. We have for each of these picks an optimist, a pessimist, and a voice of reason. So the optimist, Nick, you have Nikita Kucherov, fifth overall. Why are you so high
3: on him? Uh, So I should preface first and foremost, I didn't update my rankings. Having said that, I do think it's wide open from like four through like 12, where there's a variety of different players you can go. If it's not Kucherov, it's Jack Hughes or somebody else. So I'll say that having said that I've always been a big time uh, Kucherov backer uh, coming off an unbelievable season, 113 points. I think a key factor for Tampa, not, you know, not including of course the, the news with Andre Vasilevsky is that they're well rested. Like when's the last time they played just like one round, in the Stanley Cup playoffs so you put that all together I'm feeling strongly about Nikita Kucherov and having a monster here here, and, and to play like a guy who's a top five uh, fantasy draft pick
0: okay I am the pessimist I have Nikita Kucherov 11th overall and my logic here is are we sure we want to pay for 113 points for a 30 year old he just played 82 games the previous two seasons he played 47 games and zero games Hall of Fame talent But I'm worried that we're at the start of a decline here. Kucherov has shown a propensity to suffer major injuries in the past. And to me, I've said this a million times on the show, you cannot win your fantasy draft in round one. You can lose it by going too risky. Give me someone like Jason Robertson all day in round one, someone rock solid and safe. I'm too worried about the downside of Nikita Kucherov at 30 years old. And the voice of reason, we have Brock Sagan between us, seventh overall. So what is your thinking on Kucherov, Brock?
1: yeah i'm not typically the voice of reason so this is a new uh slot for me but um to me like this nick kind of alluded to it this is kind of the start of another tier uh where the like elite of the elite are gone and you can kind of go which any way any way you want here jack Hughes, jason robertson uh kucherov for me kucherov just has a little bit of a steadier floor you might be giving up a little bit uh, in terms of goals but since missing that entire 2021 regular season, uh, he's averaged 33 goals and 79 assists, 112 points for 82 games during the three postseason runs and the two regular seasons. He's a high-end source of shots and an elite power play producer, 55 power play points for 82 games. So to me, the floor is still elite for Nikita Kucherov. Uh, but if you, you know if you value goals or you're in a league that uh, goals are weighted a little bit more heavily, then I would lean on somebody like uh, Miko Rantanen, uh, Jason Robertson, Jack Hughes a little bit more.
0: Okay. Well said, fellas. We're going to move on now to number two on our list. We have Ryan Nugent Hopkins, the Nuge. The optimist in this case is me. I have him 34th overall. And I know what the knock is on the Nuge. He was third in the NHL in power play points, got 51% of his points on the power play. But I say, meh, the Oilers power play was historic, 32.4%, greatest of all time. That wasn't really an anomaly. They were right up there with the greatest power play seasons of all time in each of the previous three seasons before that. So this team is going to be amazing again on the power play. They still have McDavid and Sidle. McDavid got 46% of his points on the power play last year. Dreisaitl got 48%. Ain't nobody downgrading them in their rankings. I don't know why we have to punish Nuge for being a power play demon. So, And the other thing to me, at 34th overall, I'm already pricing that in. I'm not ranking him as a 100-point player. I'm ranking him as an 85 or 90-point player. I think he could regress a fair amount and still be very valuable on that unbelievable power play. 34th overall is my pick. I stand by it. But let's go the other way now. Pessimist, that's you in this case, Nick. 74th overall in that previous edition of your rankings.
3: Yeah, I think he has to be a regression candidate. Like, I understand the points you're making, but last year, 37 goals, 104 points, the puck luck, everything went his way, everything he touched pretty much on the power play, got to McDavid, got to Dry settle, got to one of the big boys and got him a point. I, I just, I would probably slot him around 75 points, maybe 80 points back to career norms. I, I just think it has to go back the other way, more so because of what we learned so far in Ryan Nugent Hopkins' career. Like, this was a massive, massive jump in production that leads me to believe that I think he's going to regress back to norms, and that's going to be around, you know, a top 75, top 100 fantasy player. I hope I'm wrong. Like, it's an incredible story, and I think if you keep him, uh, you're feeling good in in keeper leagues, but there's always that doubt, I think, in, uh, in managers' minds right now
0: okay and voice of reason once again brock is the zen guy here 61st overall from ryan Nugent hopkins what are your thoughts brock
1: yeah i probably lean a little bit more towards nick uh than you on this one matt there's just so many red flags his 18.4 shooting percentage was by far the highest of his career uh and this one really stands out his 15.9 on a shooting percentage was the highest ever recorded according to natural statric, uh, of players with at least 500 minutes played uh so that's alarming you know, the secondary assists were, were a bit of an issue as well. Led the uh, NHL in a secondary assists. Also had the highest uh, rate of secondary assists of any guy with with at least 40 helpers. So uh, I do think it's perfectly reasonable to expect a strong year uh, from Ryan Nugent Hopkins, like even ranking him in the 60s or 70s uh, as a massive jump from where he was a season ago. But in the third round, this is really where you build the foundation of your fantasy team. And I'm not sure I'm, I'm willing to pin my hopes on a guy with so many... Kind of glaring red flags uh i do still think the numbers will be there uh that power play is elite we'll we'll talk about evan bouchard here in a minute and and i still love that power play but uh nudes there's just i think some safer options in those middle rounds that i'm gonna pin my hopes on
0: okay well said backed up with some numbers i'm loving this i feel like i could do this for 20 players this is lots of fun guys (laughs) uh so yes player three as Brock alluded to, Evan Bouchard, who just is so buzzy. He makes my heart beat. I'm so excited about him this year. Uh, our heartbeat faster. I mean, our hearts are always beating. Uh, so at the optimist side, now we do have Brock 38th overall just going all in on Evan Bouchard. What is your thinking in there?
1: Yeah, he's one of the players that's just kind of been slowly rising up my rankings throughout the preseason here. And this one kind of feels like a backdoor tap-in. I mean, after the Tyson-Berry trade last year, Bouchard had 36 points, 9 goals, 27 assists in 33 games uh, in the regular season and the playoffs. If you extrapolate those numbers over 82 games, that's 22 goals, 67 assists, 89 points, and 57 power play uh, points. His usage also climbed. He was up over 21 and a half minutes after the trade. And while the Oilers' power play was historically good last year, it actually got better after the Barry trade. Uh, with Barry on that top unit for most of the you know first half of the season, they were converting at 31.8%. After the Barry trade, it went up to 38.5% with Bouchard. So uh, current ADP is 73.2. To me, he has the chance to be the steal of the draft. Uh, I think he has the potential to be a top three fantasy defenseman this year. Obviously, my rankings, I like him inside the top five uh, at the position. And, and honestly, like. Kael McCarr is on another level, but we've seen some injury concerns in the past. I think there's potential for Bouchard to be the number one fantasy defenseman this year on that power play. It's just that good.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's inconceivable, um, but in the pump the brakes tier, we have Nick Alberga, who's an Oakville boy, and just so is Steven, and so am I, and then Steven just throws in in the chat here, Evan Bouchard, Oakville boy, also true. But still, even though he's an Oakville boy, Nick Alberga, you're still a little bit, I don't want to say pessimistic. It's still a good ranking, 84th overall, but you're pumping the brakes a bit.
3: I'll even go one step further. Former London Knight, I went to school at Fanshawe College. So if there's somebody knows Evan Bouchard, it's probably me. A couple games with the Oakville Blades as well. I I just think it doesn't really matter who runs this power play. They're one of the most elite power plays in the league without Evan Bouchard and Tyson Berry running it. I understand the numbers: 17 points in 12 uh, Stanley Cup playoff games. I thought he was tremendous. I'm just forecasting a bit of turbulency like I think it's hard to be a young defenseman in this league he's just 23 I understand this is going to be his third year in the league but that's what I'm sort of you know baking into my ranking is a bit of turbulence along the way still for Evan Bouchard to get to that pinnacle to be a premier defenseman in this league so that's all it is I think he's going to get his cookies on the power play but I'm just taking sort of a, a tempered approach to this.
0: Okay, and I get to be the voice of reason here. I have him 60th. I did give him a nice jump in my rankings recently, and I do love the potential. Obviously, the ceiling is enormous. It could be 80 or 90 points on that power play, but this isn't the first time that people have been extremely excited for a Bouchard breakout and then didn't really see it happen to the level they expected. Career high is 40 points. Yes, I expect him to absolutely blow through that. I love him this year, but... To me, we just got to be careful ranking him above the defenseman that we know will get 70 points. So I don't think you can take an Evan Bouchard before a Roman Yossi, before a Dougie Hamilton, before even a Quinn Hughes, because the way he's priced right now, you need him. He must get 70 points if you're picking him this high. So to me, I'd rather look for a little bit of a drop off in that tier, pick him there. So 60th overall, I do think he's going to be a top 10 fantasy defenseman, but I don't know it. So I want to pick the guys that are money in the bank before I reach on Evan Bouchard. Uh, Player four, we have Ilya Samsonov, Toronto Maple Leafs goaltender, least warning take guy, Nick Alberga. Of course, Mm. you're bleeding blue here with him 48th overall in that previous version of your ranking. So where does the optimism come
3: from? Yeah, I actually never take Leafs if you can believe it in my drafts, but uh, I think I've just noticed the last couple of years that Leafs' debt miners, um, particularly, you know, Samsonov last year really sprung to the occasion. We all knew what was going to happen with Matt Murray. Well, it turned out that way. He's going to win a lot. I, I don't think the Leafs get enough credit for how they play defensively in terms of keeping the puck out of the net. So, assuming full health, I don't see why. He can't perform as a top 50 fantasy player. I know there's going to be some pushback from Joseph Wall. I still have my reservations, by the way, on Wall. I think he's got 11 games of NHL experience. Again, I think there's going to be some turbulence along the way every year. Uh, And I know I understand he's a bit older, but young net miners, it takes them a while to find their footing at the NHL level. So I think Samsonov's going to get some starts. I think he's going to get some wins. And I think his numbers are going to be particularly good, similar to last year. And I love guys again on contract years. So I actually feel pretty good about Samsonov this season.
0: Okay, it's my turn here to be the pessimist. I have him down in 148th, With the caveat that I tend to punish all goalies in my rankings. I never rank goalies as high as other people because I just believe the position is so fickle. Case in point, what Samsonov did last year out of nowhere, right? Very good. Top 10 in goals saved above average per 60 minutes. 919 save percentage on a good team. But shaky in the playoffs outplayed by wool. And I think Matt Murray's injury problems overshadowed the fact that Ilya Samsonov has a history of injuries too. he missed 12 games last year with a knee injury got hurt up hurt down the stretch nicked up hurt again in the playoffs and the team goes to arbitration, one-year deal going to free agency now, that's not a vote of confidence. That's, that's not the expression of a team that's going to go all in on you as their number one starter. I think the team ideally wants Joseph Wool to win that job on an entry-level contract as well. So to me, I just see a lot of downside with of The Leafs, I also don't think, are going to be as good defensively given the players that they lost in the offseason this year. So they might give up more chances. I just see a lot more downside, and he's just going to be Much more pricey in drafts than he was a year ago. Last year, it was easy to turn a profit on Samsonov. This year, you're having to pick him at a spot where you need him to be a number one. I don't know that he is. Voice of Reason is Brock here, 81st overall. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I really like Joseph Wall. I I think that um, he's one of kind of my late... Favorite late targets. Uh, but I still really like Samsonov in this spot. I think even if you're the biggest Joseph Wall supporter, uh, the best case for him this season is probably a 50-50 split with Samsonov, barring injury to, to either of them. And Samsonoff was good last year, right? 233 goals against average, 919 save percentage, and he's still gonna get plenty of work. The situation to me is pretty similar. Uh, to what you've got in Boston and and the Maple Leafs, uh, sorry, the Bruins goalies are both going in the top three right now. So I think it's perfectly reasonable to to take the one A uh, in this situation in, in like the 80th pick. I think is his ADP right now. So um, yeah, I, I don't, you know, I probably won't have a ton of Samson off, but I think in that ADP, he's a perfectly fine pick. Uh, I just probably will fall back to wall like 80 picks later, a little bit more frequently. But, um, if, if I had to pick between like Sam Sonoff and some of the, the Bruins goalies or some of those other guys in, in timeshares ranked above him, I like where he's going around the 80th pick right now.
0: Okay, Uh, player five. So now it's my turn to start uh, overhyping. Everybody knows I've been very all in on Cole Caulfield. Actually just snagged him in my keeper league draft last night as well. I'm the optimist. I have him 45th. I have him so much higher, it seems, than everybody else. Even in the expert league draft I did, I snagged him when it seemed like there was no interest. But again... I'll rhyme off some numbers for you. 48 goals in 83 games since Martin St. Louis took over. Top three in the NHL in five-on-five goals per 60. Only Matthews and Pasternak scoring more at five-on-five on a per 60 basis than Cole Caulfield. Some people will say, well, hey, what about the power play? Exactly. What about the power play? What if the Habs power play improves even a little bit? Then you're going to get a goal explosion from Cole Caulfield. I think 50 goals is not out of the question. I mean, he almost got it in his last full season of play, right? I think he gets 40 if he even plays 70 games. So I think he's massively undervalued. On the other side, we have Brock, the pessimist here, 105th overall for Cole Caulfield. What is your thinking?
1: Yeah, like to me, even if he's, you know, top 15 in, in the NHL in 55 uh, goals for over the last two years, he's 527th in assists per 60 <laughs> over the last uh, two years. 83rd in power play goals per 60 as well. Uh, the Canadian second worst power play over that time span. I don't think it's going to get that much better uh, operating under 15%. To me, like without a doubt, just a terrific goal scorer, but a bit of a one trick pony when it comes to fantasy doesn't really offer you a lot more outside of the goals and the shots on goal. Uh, and and just to me, still the durability is a massive concern. He's missed 31% of the games over the last two years. Uh, to me, he's basically Adrian Kempe without the hits uh, upside and the durability. Um, but with all that said, um, he is still just 23 years old. Obviously, there's room for a breakout this year. This is usually uh, the age where where players start to take that next step and really ascend into to fantasy stardom. So I do think that there's a lot of upside here with Cole Caulfield. I'm still several rounds ahead of his ADP. I'm just not quite as high as him uh, as you, Matt. But I I like him a lot as like an eighth, ninth round pick, which is uh, still a couple spots ahead of where he's going. But I'm a little nervous about taking him in the top 50 just based on the durability and the fact that he doesn't offer you a whole lot of category coverage outside of the goals.
0: Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I'm hoping he's still young enough at 22 to not be an injury prone guy, but we will see. Uh, Voice of Reason here, Nick, 87th overall for Cole Caulfield. What do you think?
3: yeah for once i'm the voice of reason in this discussion but it's pretty simple pretty much to what brock said i i you know i was laughing the other day somebody on social media on twitter put out there that they took a flyer on mike matheson to win the norris trophy this season if that turns out caulfield's gonna have a monster year but it it leads me to the power play who's running that first power play outside of that caulfield suzuki kirby Doc. they need more from him like who is going to provide the offense for the montreal canadians and i think on top of that again. It's all about goals. It's all about shots. So that's probably why I have him in that range. Having said that, I think there's a really, really high ceiling with the player. Again, as you guys mentioned, still relatively young in his career. And I I think there's a potential to score 50 at some point in time. I just, I don't know if it's going to happen this season.
0: Okay. We're going to finish it off with Jeremy Swayman. Okay. So... Obviously, he's a polarizing player. It depends a lot on league format. Some people seem to really have him high because of those rate stats, but I worry about the volume. We're going to start with the optimist here, Nick. That's you. You have him sixty second overall.
3: Yeah. So I, I'd be honest. Like he's probably my zone of like sixty to like seventy five. Um, the first take is that I think Lina Salmark is is going to regress. I mean, it goes without saying the numbers were just ridiculous last year, and then you lose Bergeron, you lose Krejci, you lose Hall. Having said that, like, I, I think Boston's going to be better defensively and a better team than people are giving them credit for. Like, I think this is so subjective on how you truly feel about Boston. Like, if you're one of those people who think they're going to miss the Stanley Cup playoffs, then I get it. But I, I still think they have a team competent enough to be one of the better defensive teams in the league. So I think the statistics are going to be there with both goaltenders. But I do think Swayman's going to pull for some, uh, for, for some playing time because ulti- ultimately I do see a scenario down the road or maybe even later on this season where Swayman's like the 1A and, and somebody else, you know, Allmark right now is the 1B. Like I think he has the potential to be that stud fantasy net netminer. So I think the ascent continues this season.
0: Okay, and I'm the pessimist at 172nd overall, way down there. And I think potential, that's the word that I'm going to prey on here. Potential. I think that Linus Olmark is not getting very much respect in rankings for someone who literally just won the Vezina Trophy, had arguably the best season by a goalie, Uh, This century, our great writer Paul Paduti put together the argument as to why his season was so unbelievable. And I'm not saying I expect Allmark to repeat that. What I'm saying is it's bizarre to me when people are projecting Swayman to just steal the job of someone who had the best goalie season in the last 20 years. Allmark starts the year with a pretty strong grip on that job because of it. I think the cap for Swayman's starts is maybe 35, and I don't think you can pick Jeremy Swayman to be your first goalie when he might not even start half his team's games. I get that the rate stats are going to be great, but the other thing is, how great are they going to be? Boston lost Patrice Bergeron, David Krejci, Tyler Bertuzzi, Dimitri Orlov. This team did get a lot worse. I think that includes getting worse defensively, And after winning 65 games last year, it might be 45, 45, let's say 45, 27 and 10. That's a hundred point team. That's still 20 fewer wins for your goalies to accumulate in fantasy if the Bruins regress to just being very good. So I just see a lot more downside than people realize with the Jeremy Swayman pick. I think it's a reach. Uh, Brock, you have him at 131st, voice of reason.
1: Yeah, uh, I actually recorded uh, our goalies episode on our uh, DFO fantasy podcast last night and had Jeremy Swayman as my bus just because of of this ADP doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. As you guys mentioned, he's limited um, in terms of usage by all mark. I think at best that this is, a, you know, at best a 50 50 split, but this team isn't winning 79% of their games like they did last year. Uh, they can't support two top 10 goalies without the elite record. Uh, and I don't see them getting there without Patrice Bergeron primarily. Obviously, Kraichi a big loss as well, but. Um, you know, I, I think one of them is going to be a bust. It's unavoidable that Allmark or Swayman, one of them is going to be a bust this year. I think Allmark's going 30th. Uh, Swayman's going like 59th right now. It's terrifying because uh, the Bruins just weren't that good of a team without Patrice Bergeron. Uh, their their uh, expected goals for share went from uh, 63% with Bergeron on the ice to 50% without him last season. So I don't think this is going to be a smooth transition uh, without Bergeron. And uh, yeah, like, I would rather put my chips in on Allmark at 30 than Swayman at 53 just because of what Allmark did last year, but I honestly don't like either one of them at their ADPs.
0: Okay. Very well argued for all six players, guys. This was so much fun. I love this. Again, I could do this all day. It's a a blast. I feel like I'm just at the bar having a debate with my buddy. So it's greatly appreciated both of you coming on today. I know you're very busy before I let you go. Uh, Brock, plug whatever you want. What should people be looking for right now?
1: I mean, a little bit of everything right now. It's fantasy season, right? So obviously the Fantasy Hockey Draft Kit at DailyFaceUp.com is buzzing right now. Uh, we've got rankings, tons of articles being added every single day by by many uh, quality contrib- contributors. Um, and then another thing that I've got that a lot of people probably don't know about is the uh, customizable rankings tool. Uh, you have the ability to go in, pick a points league, pick, pick a categories league, input the, the scoring settings for your league, and get a, a whole new set of rankings customized to your league. It's obviously difficult for us when we're doing these rankings to... Uh, you know, cover all the the wide array of fantasy hockey leagues that there are. So this tool allows you to do that uh, pretty simply. So uh, pretty proud of what I've done there over the last couple of years, and I, I think you should. definitely.
3: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
1: Definitely check it out, especially if you're in a league that's got some wonky categories.
0: Very cool stuff. And Nick, same question for you: What do you have going on that people should be looking for right now?
3: Well, got to plug everybody at DailyFaceoff.com. Make sure to check them out first and foremost, but also the NHL Fantasy on Ice podcast with myself and Pete Jensen. We got a Bold Predictions podcast coming out as part of our array of podcasts to start the uh, the fantasy season, and of course, not really fantasy, but Leafs Morning Take on uh, on the Leafs Nation YouTube page as well.
0: Love it. Love both of those shows as well. Well, thank you guys so much. This is a blast, and I'm sure we'll have you on again sometime soon.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, that was a really fun segment. Hopefully, we can do it again sometime. And now, I'm rejoined by my usual partner in crime, Stephen Ellis. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good. You know, it's Blue Jays
2: playoff day. And, you know, you never, given how hard it is for uh, your favorite baseball team to make the playoffs sometimes, how how tough it is to actually get into the wild card, it's always cool to see.
0: And especially if you think back to, you know, when I was like eight years old, literally four teams made the playoffs. That's how prestigious it was. It's pretty, pretty nuts. It still feels like that, that it's a special privilege. I know people are upset about the start time, but I think that's hypocritical. If you're from Toronto, you understand that the Toronto Maple Leafs get favoritism for all start times because of the size of the market. And it's just the reverse. We're in Canada and Major League Baseball ratings. They're gonna look to their American teams. Like I don't, I don't take it uh, as a slight at all that we have to play these afternoon games,
2: especially when you look at some of the tickets. Like someone pointed out that like you can easily find tickets for five dollars for today's game. It's like okay, so clearly this is not <laughs> the biggest priority uh, on the TV market either.
0: For sure, for sure. Uh okay well we are gonna continue on with the show now we're already partway through of course so let's get to the best bet of the week Stephen are you ready for it
2: I am and this is a, this is an interesting one
0: yeah so this sort of came to pass as I was formulating uh the Vancouver Canucks season preview as I was kind of going through the roster last week writing it for Daily Faceoff I kind of started to feel like I don't hate this team uh and if you look at it okay so right now they're plus one hundred and fifty on Botano to make the playoffs in futures betting. And they had the 14th best record in the league after Rick Tockett took over last year, 2012 and four. Uh, Thatcher Demko, after that change, coming back from injury, I mentioned before on the show, 11-4 and one, 9-18 save percentage. They were an above-average team offensively, not great, but good enough. A little bit top-heavy, but defensively, they've improved a lot after Tockett took over. Their ability to prevent high-danger chances got much better uh in the forward group they added pia Suter and teddy blooger that's great for checking penalty killing they added carson susie to that decor to play with quinn hughes as a stabilizing presence big body philip pronick a pretty good play driver at both ends of the ice obviously got hurt after they traded for him and is going to be ready to start the year now so that's a big addition to the blue line so if i go through it also you added casey DeSmith, so much better insurance policy in net 912 career save percentage and this team already pretty decent offensively, and I think they look significantly improved in terms of all forms of keeping the puck out of their own net on D and in net or and in goal. And we know in the Pacific Division, Anaheim and San Jose are terrible. Uh, you have Edmonton, L.A., Vegas, Seattle as playoff teams from last year. Vancouver, if you can beat out Calgary, I think that's a playoff spot. I think the fifth the fifth spot in the Pacific Division this year is going to be a playoff spot. I think we're only going to see three teams in the central division make the playoffs this year. So I actually think the Vancouver Canucks are going to be fighting right down to the end. I predict with Calgary in the low 90 point range, 92, 91, something like that. And because of that, if it's that close, if it's that much of a coin flip in my mind, I like the plus plus one hundred and fifty bet on the Vancouver Canucks. What do you think, Steven? Uh,
2: Yeah, I'm, I think I got them going fifth in the division. Uh, so that would kind of go in line with what your thoughts are of making the playoffs. I think for them, it's, Thatcher Demko is such a mystery for me. I think that at his highs, he's one of the best goalies in the league. The issue is we saw parts last year. We've seen injuries. We've seen things like that where I just truly can never rely on him, especially in fantasy hockey, very hard to rely on him. Um, So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I think that you you hope that Casey DeSmith is uh, a solid enough backup goalie. You know, goaltending was a bit of a concern in Pittsburgh de smith can come in here and still be the guy that he's just all backup there is also arthur sealoff who so i wouldn't be shocked you know if he's the first guy called up and, and can steal some games because we know he's a, a solid goalie just won the double Jeff goalie of the year so i, I think that vancouver's probably in a bit of a better spot hopefully this year there's just less distractions for this team you know just started from the beginning of the year with the staff side of things then there's a coaching change and then there's players the Rumors wanting out. We don't know what Pedersen's going to be doing now at this point um, in terms of his long-term future. But I feel like there's at least little few. To, there's fewer distractions this time, and I hopefully that will let them at least start well and kind of maintain that.
0: Yeah, I think that's very well said. It comes down to can they finally play good hockey at the start of the year when the games matter? Uh, because they they have a history recently of surging with a new coach and then it doesn't carry over to the next year. So we will see. But I'm cautiously optimistic uh okay steven next up we have some solid questions we actually saved a bunch of them from last week because we had too many to answer so we're going to carry over some of those puppies and let's get to them
2: yeah this is the one of the few times that you haven't had to ask me to make sure uh, look for other questions on youtube we just had so many people that were interested in, in the last couple of episodes so thank you uh so this one comes from heavy kevy i guess uh points only dynasty league position doesn't matter who do you like for this season and who do you like for long term Barbashev, hayton tommy novak Forrester. Taylor Radish, Edel, or Machelli. Um,
0: yeah, good question from Heavy Kevy because a lot of these players—they're not similar players necessarily, but they're all I'd say tiered similarly. Um, Ivan Barbashev, his pace as a Golden Knight. So the regular season and the playoffs, the pace he's he's delivered as a Golden Knight: twenty-four goals, sixty-two points, two hundred and eight hits per eighty-two games. And he's pretty locked into that first line role alongside Eichel and Marcheseau, uh to start the season. That was the cup winning line, right? So I like him a lot in the short term. I think he's actually kind of underrated. Long term, I kind of like Philip Heidel here because he obviously broke through more than 20 goals last year. First round pedigree, talented player. He's been stuck. In the kid line role as a third line center, but so far in the preseason and in training camp, he's gotten looks on and off as the second line center above Vincent Trocek. And that could be a big game changer for his value. And just in general, Trocek is starting to get into his 30s now, and Hedl still has some upside to go. So I could see him kind of gradually stealing that role and being the long-term number two center for the Rangers. So if we're looking at the long-term bet, I would say I lean slightly toward Hedl. Barrett Hayton as well is tempting. He really has clicked with Keller and Schmaltz had 29 points in his last 35 games last year. Only thing is for long-term, you have to think that Logan Cooley is going to be a threat to that first-line job. So there's a little hesitation there. Not necessarily this season, but long-term. So Barbashev, in the present, he to long-term would be my choices.
2: I like those. Um, I was going to say the same thing about uh, with Barrett Hayden, where you know this year it's probably going to be a very good year, but Logan Cooley's he's knocking down the doors. Now Again, Cooley could be, maybe Cooley ends up becoming the number two center just with those line mates. And it doesn't really matter. And you still see the chemistry they with with Hayden and Keller, but uh, you know, put it this way, Arizona is worth keeping an eye on now this year. That's going to be a team that there's, there's some options there. They've got two legitimate like lines now after last year when it was like looking like Travis Boyd was going to be the number one center for a little <laughs> right. bit. So got to say it looks a little better now. Speaking of the Coyotes, this one comes from Graham Smith. Do you think Logan Cooley will be a top six player for the Coyotes? And what is a realistic stat line for him? I want to say yes, he is definitely a top six player.
0: Yeah, I hope so, because I just, uh, Graham, I just snagged Logan Cooley in my Keeper League draft last night, so that's exciting. Um, Yes, I do think he will absolutely be a top six player for the Coyotes this season. I think he's going to be their number two center. Uh, I think he'll get some power play work as well. Maybe not first unit right away, but he'll get some. Um, And what I like is even as a uh, number two center, as Stephen alluded to, the quality of support around him is not bad compared to what it would have been even a year ago. So right now it might be, you know, Jason, Jason Zucker, Dylan Gunther, it could eventually be Lawson Krauss or Matisse Michelli could be mixed in there. But the bottom line is there are plenty of options that actually are pretty solid for Logan Cooley, which I love. He's obviously a very dynamic player and can make plays all over the ice, make his teammates better as well. So I'm looking for 20 goals, 30 assists, 50 points in his rookie season.
2: I'm going to up the ante. I think he gets 60 points. Ooh. I think maybe him and Bedard are the only two that make that happen. I just think that, you know, with Arizona, there's no real, like, there's no real reason to believe they're going to be, like, a true playoff contender, like, go far. So, you know, expectations are low. And I think they could just keep freewheeling it. But, you know, they wanted him to turn pro for a reason. He could have gone back to one more year of college. Probably, I'm not sure how much he would have had to gain from that, but he could have gone for the national title. He would have been a big. Uh, force for the University of Minnesota, which is taking hit after hit this summer. So for this offseason, I should say. But uh, when it comes to Cooley, I, I can see him at 60, um, maybe more assists than goals. But I just think that he's just, again, they, they believe in him. And watching him, now s- seeing that one goal he scored against LA Kings was really cool. Uh, maybe some questionable defensive plays there. But, uh, you know, I, just the talent's there. And I think that they're they're going to give him free reign to do everything. We'll see him on the power play. So I don't know, I can see 60.
0: I hope you're right. I really do. I think it's only a matter of time, just a matter of it's a question of just how big is the role? What, what's how many minutes is he going to play this year? And is his body ready to handle the rigors of the NHL and long schedule? Sometimes college players hit that wall partway through the year because they're not used to playing so many games. They're used to having all that time in the gym <laughs> during the week as well. So we'll see. Should be interesting.
2: Well, here's a question for you. We'd, I know we've seen a season of Matty Beniers where you've seen no. Seasons of, of Logan Cooley, but when you look at Beniers, he had fifty-seven points last year. again, a Cooley 60 doesn't seem crazy when you. if I'm comparing the two of them together.
0: Yeah, that's a good point because in terms of offensive ceiling, I think everyone would agree that Cooley's is much higher than Beniers. Beniers is someone who's compared most commonly to Patrice Bergeron in terms of just being a two-way guy. I actually think he's not quite a bust, but a mild trap pick in fantasy this year because he does so many little things well. It's not like Beniers needs to be an 80-point scorer. He might be a 65-point scorer this year, 70-point. So long-term, I see it. I just can't... I, I still think Beniers has a better team around him, uh, a lot of experienced forwards as well. So, but you're right. He he could be he could be this year's Beniers.
2: See, from a fantasy perspective, let's say Shane Wright ends up becoming this really big, great prospect for the the Kraken. Well, he's a really good two way player, very good defensively. Then you've got your number one and your number two center that are both very good in things that don't necessarily transition into fantasy hockey. <laughs> so there's that to keep an eye on. But hey, if it works out for Sad, I don't think they care. Uh, next question comes from Daryl Retzlaff. How do you tackle drafting goalies in a 12-team league? Now, I picked two goalies in the first three rounds, and I know that's been a top, uh, hot uh, topic, but looking at my goalies compared to every other team in my 12-team league I just drafted in yesterday, uh, yeah, no one comes close to me in goaltending.
0: Yeah, that's right. I saw, I had a look. Your goalies are, are stacked.
2: Uh, for just, me- Let's just point out it's Just Durkin and not and Jeremy Swainman.
0: Yes. Um. So to me, a 12-team league typically is, I consider that a fairly shallow league, uh, depending on if you start two goals, or start one, but your typical 12-team league configuration, you're going to be having a goalie on the bench, you're going to be starting one, rotating your, your team, or rotating your lineup. So in that format, uh, I'm not going to prioritize goaltending early in the draft. I'm going to focus on finding difference makers at forward and defense in the first few rounds. Just because the position is so fickle, look, Linus Olmark, he wasn't a top 12 goalie going into the draft last year. He wins the Vezin Trophy. Look at Georgev. There are so many goalies, Aiden Hill, that come out of nowhere every single year. There will be plenty that come out of nowhere again this year. So I would rather wait several rounds and even just not necessarily going zero goalie and totally punting, but just looking for value. So Instead of drafting, let's say, Connor Hellebuck in the second round or something like that, you could wait for Aiden Hill, Stuart Skinner, Devin Levi, even someone like Cam Talbot in L.A., that's at least going to be a good team. That's a decent situation. Carol Van Melka, for example, if we believe in Arizona getting a lot better, I think he's a sleeper pick. So I prefer to go that route because every single year, somebody hits big and becomes a thing in net. And it's just not worth burning a pick early when the position is so fickle.
2: I'm still happy with my team, so I'll take Take my goaltenders.
0: They, they tend to do really
2: well for me in fantasy hockey. I always feel aggressive on goalies, which is kind of the opposite of what we keep telling everybody to do. But it works out for me, so I just keep doing it until it won't work out anymore. Uh, I guess we're sticking with the goalie questions here from Taylor Finley. I have both Sorokin and Vassi in my keeper league. Unfortunately, I don't have another goalie, so I need to draft one to cover for Vassi, who is always a great fantasy goalie, not this year. Would you lean... Levi or Skinner for overall value? Head-to-head league with goals, gains, average, save percentage, and wins. Thanks.
0: Yeah, it's a tough question, and I feel like each week it gets tougher because Devin Levi has a lot of helium uh, in this preseason. He Kind of like kind of like Matt Coronado in Calgary and Evan Bouchard in Empteen, there have been a few players that everybody's buzzing about all preseason. Devin Levi is one of them. He has league winner potential if he can hold down that starting job to start the year in Buffalo, which it looks like he's going to. At the same time, Skinner above average starter last year on a team that we know is going to be good. I just think he's a little bit safer. I think you're st- you're going to get 50 starts. You're going to get probably above average rate stats and a good win total. Devin Levi, we think, is going to be good. Like I, I have a good hunch. I think Buffalo's going to make the playoffs, but we just don't know it. So I'm a little bit risk-averse in the early middle rounds of fantasy drafts because I, I want to take the sure thing over the hunch. At the very end of a draft, hunch away. But at this point... If you're going, Devin Levi, you're passing up on what could be a top 10 goalie. That's the ceiling, I think, for Stuart Skinner. Although Jack Campbell's looking pretty good right now. Yeah, that's a threat. and That's that's why it's a consideration, right? So we know Skinner didn't look good in the playoffs, and Campbell's not going away. But I still think he's in the starter's position to, at the moment. And Levi, it's still a, he's still a rookie. He's undersized. We just don't know enough about what he's going to be at the NHL level yet. No. That's very
2: fair. It's not the year i'd be looking to get devin levi uh now of course he's gonna go win 36 games this year. <laughs> he amazing. might he honestly might i just i want to know what they're doing with their goalie situation a lot of talk about what they're doing with toronto with martin jones and you know he's had a decent preseason but what about buffalo They got a couple guys there they got to deal with uh last one comes from sean need to process my keepers standard stats no peripherals do you get one extra point for goals marshawn a freebie because he's 35 plus get to keep four more torn between which four if he share uh roman Morrissey, Carlson, uh, John Carlson, and uh, Linus Olmark to keep. Start one center, two wingers, two defense, one goalie. Thanks, Matt.
0: Okay, yeah. Thanks for the question, Sean. Um, to me, I would go Heischer, Yossi, Morrissey, and Olmark, especially because you only start 2 so Ds. you already have Yossi and Morrissey. I don't think you have to worry too much about John Carlson. He's 33 years old. His prime is now over, coming off an injury where he had a really scary injury, got a puck in the head, fractured skull. Uh, He did come back, but it's still something that can affect a player. might make him more hesitant, might make him more risk-averse if he gets hurt again. There just is some downside to worry about after such a serious injury. Uh, And the other four players there, they're all in their primes, Uh, and Carlson Odds are he's going to be a good fantasy defenseman. Get a lot of power play time. Still, he's had a great career, but I just think compared to the other four that I named, Carlson has a lot more downside right now.
2: Yeah, no, I uh, I kind of agree with that. So yeah, that's all the questions. Again, thank you everyone for sending so many great questions recently.
0: All righty, so we're gonna finish it off, Stephen. The special episode, not our typically formatted episode. We'll get back to that next week, but uh, we'll do the starting lineup to finish it off today. And what I want you to do here is, I know that you're not a big TV guy, uh, you're a racing guy. You're a hockey guy. You're a weird unicycle hockey guy. But I'm curious: are there any TV shows you do enjoy? And let's hear your starting lineup of those shows.
2: Yeah, so I don't, I don't watch a lot of a t- lot of TV shows, except one of the shows I'm picking here. I'm actively watching uh, as of last night. So uh, let's start with that one's not yet, but let's go with How to Get Away with Murder. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that show, Viola um, Davis. Yeah, yeah, I love that show. It was I thought it was so well written, and you know it's. Uh, I kind of just watch it. (laughs) That's what I'll say. I was really disappointed when that ended. I don't know if I love the way it ended, but I was disappointed when it did. The next one is probably the worst of all the shows here, but I enjoyed it. Manifest. Uh, I don't. I think I may mention this before but it's about how these people were on a flight uh, 828 it's called and it uh, went missing for five years and nobody on the flight remembers it and it's kind of trying to figure out how that happened. It gets a little off the rails. I'm not really into sci-fi stuff and unfortunately it gets to a point where everyone's got superpowers near the end um, but uh, I'd say that it was still a really really fun show. I really enjoyed it also I did go on a flight number 828 which uh, while I was actively watching the show that scared me um, uh, the next one, as a big Spider-Man fan, I had to throw one of them in, and it's the Spider-Man from the 1990s, which I believe is 1994 to 98 was their run. Uh, that was the thing that really got me into it. Uh, it introduced the Spider-Verse. Uh, it was kind of the first thing to really do something like that on on TV or, or movie. Um, and it just, like, it stayed true to the comics, but it, it just, it was so well done for its time. And, uh, you know, I don't know if we've seen a, I, I can't say I watch a lot of cartoons these days, but I don't know just from seeing things online that we've reached a Spider-Man as good and as deep as that one was. Uh, next one, the one I'm actually actively watching sex education is hilarious. Uh, it is good. If you've seen the season four uh, episode one, it's like the f- one of the, f- one of the funniest moments I've seen in TV happen. Uh, I recommend that. Uh, oh, that's all I'll say there. Um, I don't know what it is. If these British TV shows, they know what they're doing, but it's uh, so well done. Um, Going back to kind of the "How to Get Away with Murder" um, uh, style, going to Scandal, uh, which I think was probably the better of the two shows. Um, by the, I think her name was uh, the, the production company was Shonda, Shonda Rhimes. Yep, Shonda Rhimes. Yeah, um, I thought Scandal was just better. I thought that show. I don't care one bit about following politics that closely. It's not interesting to me. But that maybe like actually care. It was pretty interesting. Uh, well done, uh, and uh, yeah, that was disappointing when that one ended. And uh, number one, I'm going to have to go with The Simpsons. And it sounds like my phone is ringing over there. Sorry about that. Um, The Simpsons, I just, I I can, whenever it's on TV, I always watch it. I am also probably one of the few people on the planet who still enjoy the new episodes. They're pretty funny. It's just people kind of write it off after, uh, for a lot of people write it off after like their early 90s seasons. Other people write it off after the movie. I still think that it's entertaining. The animation's probably the best it's ever been. And uh, yeah, so I
0: still like The Simpsons.
2: That's still my number one.
0: Okay, I, I like I like the Pixar. Really, uh, all but the letter S. Almost every show there started with the actually. Letter S. Yeah, you are correct. Uh, only two of them were not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bizarre. Uh, it's weird. Yeah, Simpsons always fascinates me in the sense that, like, I consider it an all-time show. Yet I've seen now maybe one third of it. Like I was one of those people who dropped off after season ten. But if I ever revisit those early episodes, they're still unbelievable. Sex Education. I'm watching right now. I have one episode left in the series. I, I just watched the second last episode last night. My hot take about sex education: Otis is kind of a bad person. I think he's uh, yeah. selfish, yeah. Yeah. narcissistic. He only cares about himself. I hope he finds some redemption in this last episode. But uh Otis sucks. That's what my wife and I both say. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I agree. I've done
2: four episodes of this. Yeah. So I'm still. I'm still a little bit. Together.
0: But it's a great show. Love it as well. Uh, and of course, uh, Spider Man '90s. I watched it as well. I thought it had the best i love the two-part episode about the symbiote costume and it had uh, i think the best treatment of michael morbius as a character as well
2: yeah oh yeah that? it was not uh, none of that uh, who was it um kingpin was very good craven was good like it got everybody except for Sandman because mm-hmm. of the time Sandman was supposed to be in a spider-man movie that never happened but uh it was just like it was i i re-watched some of it recently and have, have you seen i can't remember if i asked you before but have you seen the japanese spider-man
0: no I have a t-shirt of it but I haven't seen so, it.
2: So the Japanese Spider-Man it's like he's uh I've watched it a few friends but it's basically uh it was the first like real live action uh, adaptation but it was like not even close to real like he shoots like machine guns he turns into like a Gundam like robot thing like you see in uh, uh like more like Power Rangers type thing and uh he's fighting Dr. Monster which is the greatest name for a bad guy I've <laughs> ever heard and it's it's not even close to like re- reality. Or, or any other Spider-Man storyline. But it's like, like, I think it was like the 70s it came out. It's so bad, it's good. That's okay. what I enjoy watching. It's all on YouTube.
0: Okay, that's good to know. Maybe I'll check it out. Well, that was a good addition to the starting lineup. And that is it for this week's episode. Hope you enjoyed it, everybody. We'll be back next week. And next week will be the start of the season. So we'll get into our in-season format. We'll start looking at waiver pickups, all that kind of stuff. And we'll see you then.